evidence and answers. Euthanasia is a hot topic, especially in Hawaii right now, as the House will be voting on a bill to make this physician-assisted suicide legal. Where does euthanasia or suicide stand in light of God's Word? Is this an ethical issue, a moral issue, and where do we draw the line? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and special guest, Dr. Craig Nakatsuka, discuss the debate of euthanasia and its ramifications to our society. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's our host, Dr. Pat Zukaran, along with Dr. Craig Nakatsuka, with part one of Understanding the Euthanasia Debate. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the issues we face today. Well, philosopher Paul Copan and theologian Robertson McQuilkin wrote this. They said, how we treat life from the unborn in the womb to those dying while under hospice care is an indication of how civilized or uncivilized we are. How we treat individual human life especially the weak and vulnerable, is a test of not only society's moral integrity, but also its social durability. Well, today we're discussing the issue of euthanasia. Proponents call it death with dignity, while opponents call it a form of suicide or homicide. And this topic is being debated throughout the United States. Presently, California, Colorado, the District of Columbia, Oregon, and Vermont have passed bills allowing for euthanasia. And Hawaii is debating this bill, whether it will join this list along with the others. Well, to address this issue with us today is Dr. Craig Nakatsuka. Dr. Nakatsuka is an internal medicine physician. He recently retired from Kaiser Medical Group after 34 years of practice. And during the last 13 years of his practice, his focus was on long-term care and palliative care, visiting patients in nursing homes, care homes, and homes, and supporting patients with advanced illnesses and those in the last chapter of their lives. He's a graduate of Wheaton College and has completed his medical school training at the John A. Burns School of Medicine here in Hawaii. So, Craig, welcome once again to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Pat. Now, one of the concerns that we have in these past hearings here at the state legislature and conversations that we've been having is that there are a substantial number of born-again believers and Christians, either who are lukewarm or supporters of this physician-assisted suicide bill. That's a great concern, isn't it? Yes, you know, I've been on this program before, Pat, uh, talking about some of the secular arguments, the serious secular arguments and reservations, both as a physician and then the harm that it can do to the unintended consequences that can arise from something like this. There is no way that the safeguards that are put into this bill can in any way be protective of the vulnerable and the elderly. But 
During especially this public hearing that we had on the House side, I started to get concerned because I recognized both from the testimony of people who declared that they were born-again believers, and also just with chatting with friends, including those that were there with me to testify, that they do not have a really clear understanding of the theological consequences and underpinnings that underlie this bill. Yes, Greg, you know, why do you think so many Christians and even pastors even are in support of a bill like this? So pastors, believers who even value life can sometimes see it on the abortion side. But certainly I have heard, literally I did hear that just this past week by a fellow believer that said, and a couple of legislators who've said that they're Christians, but because of the suffering that can happen in the dying process and someone who's already lived a full life, I don't see why this option should not be available. And as you said earlier, is that the value of life really is on both ends, the vulnerable in terms of um, those that are yet born, as well as those that are going through the last chapter of their lives. And if we don't see that, then indeed, as you just quoted, Pretty soon, culture will start to undervalue slowly and slowly more the value of life in general. Even Christians, as we speak, will be seduced into thinking that not as much value in life intrinsically as a whole. Yes, you know, I kind of find it ironic that, you know, this week there are students and teachers protesting around the country on gun control and saving of lives, you know, around the country. Yet at the same time, legislatures around the country are voting and some proponents pushing for this euthanasia bill. I I find that quite ironic here. Now, Greg, one of the things I think, you know, reasons why, you know, there are many Christians, even Christian leaders and Christian doctors I talked to the other day who are in support of this bill is they don't, they just don't understand the issue. The types of euthanasia there are out there and you know, the arguments that they feel are quite compelling are not as compelling, you know, when you really take a serious look at them. So I think there's a lot of confusion, but I also think that churches are not addressing issues like this. There's not enough, you know, leaders out there willing to take on these issues or who are educated and understand issues like this. You find a lot of churches talking about these kind of issues? Well, in general, there can be sort of an avoidance because it's thought that might be just something that's in the political arena and really the primary objective is for seekers to come to know the Lord and this might be distracting. But my answer to that is actually then really emphasize the value of life, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that He knows the plans He has for us, plans for a future and a hope, and that all things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. When that is put out there in the forefront, I do not see at all how one cannot link what's going on behind that. And that is, that's really the message. That's the Christian message for which now this bill then would be something that would be entirely against this. Yes. Now tell us generally why as Christians we should stand against a bill like this. You talk about the value that we should be coming from not a quality of life position, but the value of life position. Tell us about that. 
Well, it's both. It is also quality of life. And I say that from my work that I've done over the past dozen years, is that life has value, life has quality, life has dignity, meaning, and purpose, even in the last chapter of, of one's life. And that is the work I do now with hospice care. That is the work I did with palliative care. That is the work of every believer to be able to come alongside someone who is suffering because there is so much as a fellow believer that one can provide dignity, meaning, purpose, peace, satisfaction, and fulfillment from one Christian brother and sister to another, be it an aged parent, be it a sister, etc. Yes, let's take a look at that. Now, you said there's dignity, meaning, purpose, even in the last chapter of one's life. And skeptics out there are saying, well, how can there be purpose, meaning, dignity? If in the last days of my life, I'm just stuck to a bed and I need to be assisted in all these ways. What what do you mean there's dignity and, and purpose even in those final days. I literally can say that I just came from a visit with a patient who may have months to live only. And to be able to encourage, to pray, to honor, to support, to have that person look to the Lord and to actually partner in her sufferings, to weep as she weeps, to rejoice as she rejoices, is how to do that. And in fact, so many times that a big part of my medical job, as far as being at the bedside now, is doing just that because one of the tragedies is whether you're a believer or not a believer, there sometimes is such a focus on the latest medical technology out of desperation to try and get better that someone may then suddenly pass away and never have that rich experience of growing in relationships, of achieving reconciliation, forgiveness, for being able to actually display their love to a a grandchild, all in these areas that are really what matters. Yes, you know, those of us, you know, with that rugged individualism kind of mentality don't like to be dependent on others. But really, there's a time where we give blessings to those in need, but there's a time where it's, there's nothing wrong with us receiving blessings from others. And especially at the end of life, that can be a very rich time where you can spend those final days being ministered to and receive a tremendous blessing from grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you know, sons, daughters, and a lot of those things you talk about, reconciliation, last words, all that can be a real meaningful, rich time, even in the final days. And I am not saying at all that dying is easy. I'm not saying that in every situation that these areas of relationship building and everything can always happen. But it's to, again, recognize, number one, where the culture is going to go, where if there's a convenience of ending it all quickly, just to, quote unquote, preserve dignity, where you can see where that will all lead to. But also that there is a redemptive side 
to suffering. The other side often poo-poos that. There was actually an editorial in the newspaper making fun of that, of redemptive suffering. But really, Scripture is replete with suffering and redemption. Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our sufferings, for suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and most of all, character produces hope. Hope that does not need to be put to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians four sixteen to seventeen. For we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And somehow the Lord has made it for us that indeed suffering to some degree is the background, not that we are here to suffer, supposed to suffer in order to grow in character, but within that background, His grace, His mercy, His love shines through, especially from the Lord Himself to the individual who's dying, but also to the caregivers and the family members as they experience this process together with the one with the sufferer. Yes, you know, I mean, there's a tremendous blessing for children and grandchildren to be there in the final days with their loved one, or even parents who have to watch uh, their children pass into eternity. There's a blessing to be there in those final days. And I notice children who get to be in those final moments. There's a tremendous maturing process that takes place. Teenagers, children were were really selfish in those years. But to learn to care for grandma or grandpa in their time of need to be with them. Well, that's a tremendous maturing process that happens that you can never get from a textbook or, or even in school. And indeed, this procedure, this so-called taking a lethal dose of medication, it gets romanticized in the newspapers, etc., as kind of a candlelight ceremony with surrounded by loving families uh, and friends, and then taking the medications and passing away. It actually turns out that somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of those that take the medication take it alone. Yeah, you know, you talked a little bit about that in our last show, which we're going to air before this one. So if you didn't hear that one, uh, go to evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the full, both interviews with Dr. Craig Nakatsuka. But yeah, you talked that most people, it's not a death with dignity process. The process is really a lonely, I might even say terrifying process. Well... Clearly, the media does not describe it as such, that really the ones, the, they, they romanticize it. There was just a recent one where an elderly couple in Canada took the medications together. Yes, at least one of them was clearly terminal. The other one probably was, but it was not for sure. And that, again, that supposedly went in a way that was very lovely and they made their choice. But the data shows otherwise. Yeah. Actually, actually, the California data, the preliminary one is that, yes, the the law was faithfully, reasonably followed in terms of the strong recommendation to have the person requesting that a medication to let a next of kin or a significant other know But then when it came time to take the medication, there was no one there. Yes. Now, before we go into arguments for euthanasia, tell us the difference between euthanasia and allowing nature to take its course. So 
this is uh, let, let's start with what's already allowable and there are those that think that especially those on the right sometimes think that the removal of artificial life support when someone is in a vegetative state is akin to euthanasia, even if that person had advanced directives documenting they did not want to be continued on artificial life support if their death was otherwise imminent or if they were unconscious without reasonable likelihood of regaining consciousness. And no, that is not felt to be euthanasia, both ethically or theologically, that artificial life support, certainly by someone that actually does not, had not desired to be continued on it if for the conditions that I just described, that's not euthanasia to withdraw life support in that situation. The present bill is actually not quite euthanasia. It is supposedly where self-administration of the oral medications is what is to take place as the procedure. And therefore, it is the only assisted part of that is the prescription of the medications, but otherwise everything is supposed to be left into the individual's hands. But as you can imagine, and as has been really played out in Canada, is that there are those who are going to be very weak towards the end. There are those that are going to be struggling in terms of both dexterity as well as cognition to be able to swallow uh, what's usually a pretty large amount of medications. And so naturally, the next step will be to have a better, quote unquote, quality process in order to ensure a safe and peaceful death. And that will get us into what's defined as euthanasia, where there is the active assistance of another for the purpose of killing that person. Yes. So as Christians, we're not called to, I guess, prolong death. I mean, as you say in the first example, if there are very heroic means to try and keep the person alive artificially, then there's nothing wrong with allowing nature to take its course and allowing you know, the person to pass on into eternity. Euthanasia is where we take an active role and put the person's life to a premature end. So that, that's the difference there, yeah. I guess, you know, looking at the bigger picture here, what's the big deal of letting those who are terminal, who've been diagnosed? I think in this bill it says you've got to be, what's given a six-month's diagnosis, you know, what's wrong with letting them choose to end their lives the way they want? I mean, after all, very few actually take advantage of this option here. So it's two things. The first one is exactly that. That was actually told to me by a physician who was sitting right next to me who was intent on testifying against the bill. And when we left the auditorium, he said, well, I'm personally strongly against that. I think it actually will lead to death tourism where people will come into the state to die in paradise, so to speak. But he said, otherwise, I don't see why we should not allow someone who just wants to do that. And I turned to him and I said, it's because this is a lot bigger than just the bill itself. It's really the fact that this is a bill that's pushing individual rights so hard. And yes, there are rights that have to be reserved. Indeed, we talk about the value of the person, etc. But 
This is basically individual rights protection gone amok. And that's what idolatry is. I mean, thou shalt not have any gods before me. The greatest God is ourselves. The fact that if we end up purely with individual entitlement of rights and knowing our fallen state that we will start to want to become gods in ourselves. We already are. And this is really the implications of this bill is that, yes, it'll only benefit a few, but this is just one step in this. The head person for this year, spokesperson uh, for Compassion and Choices, the advocacy, national advocacy group for here, the local head person is the LGBT rights leader. And it's really encompassing this whole thing of individual rights and why Christians have to realize that they should stand in the gap on this because that's where culture changes, where indeed each person is protected to become their own gods. Now, how about this other argument here that says, well, I can't bear to see my parents or loved ones suffer at the end you know, of their lives. So what's wrong with allowing the access to lethal medications to die and end one suffering? He can't bear it. We can't bear it. So why not bring it to an end? And as I said, that's what some of the legislators have told me, that they as Christians are against this personally, but they've seen suffering among their parents, and that's why they struggle with this. And Yes, it's difficult to see someone who's uh, suffering. One thing I have to say with very much confidence as an experienced hospice and palliative care doctor that the advances in medicine today has made it such that 99% of symptoms of pain, nausea, anxiety, we can confidently control. And for the 1% or less that we cannot, it is actually legal, and I've done it rarely, maybe once in every four to six years, where we would hospitalize someone, or it can be done sometimes in a controlled setting, where we would have someone put unconscious for the primary intent, uh, underlying primary intent to relieve suffering, if and if in the process they happen to pass away, that's felt to be ethically solid. And again, that's legal already. So that we can take care of virtually all symptoms of suffering now. But as I said, the other thing is to start to believe the lie of the devil that, you know, if someone else is suffering, it then becomes our love, if you want to call that, for them to say that it's not me suffering, it's them suffering. So I really need to do something about that out of love and therefore allow this option to be available. Well, that's a misplaced love, a misalignment of values. And by the way, I say this whether you're a conservative evangelical, whether you're a libertarian, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, because... Of course, there are many, uh, we, we all are for the individual, we are all for the 
appropriate immigrants to have that dream, that chance for a good life here. There are many, many situations where we do fight for the rights of those there. But in this case, this is really misaligned values. As someone mentioned in cautioning about artificial intelligence, robots with artificial intelligence, they said, yes, if it's under the control of a creator, that's okay. But what if this artificial intelligence robot starts to do things that are misaligned values. For instance, if something was created with the ability to learn and it was created to kill cancer, and that robot decides that the in order to kill cancer, it's okay to kill humans because that's killing cancer. That's what I might mean by misaligned values, that rights is always is a good thing, but it gets all mixed up when we talk about the fact that somehow if someone else is suffering that out of love for that person, they should have the option to be put out of their misery. And that's really a misaligned value. Well, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps at a conference, give him a call at 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.